0: Ahoy, uh, everybody, and welcome to a very special Talking Simpsons presentation. I am one of your hosts, uh, the spider pig hater, Bob Mackey, the spider pig scoundrel, <laughs> if you will.
1: Uh, and hey, it's Henry Gilbert. I uh, do the least offensive throat singing anyone could do. <laughs> uh,
0: so this is uh, an unusual thing for us, but it's a very fun thing and that we are presenting someone else's podcast, but mm-hmm. thankfully we happen to be on it.
1: Yes, yeah, the, uh, the awesome podcast, Michael and us, me and Bob are big fans of it, uh, support them on Patreon even. We have had both of the hosts, Luke Savage and Will Sloan, on our podcast before, and they wanted to cover the Simpsons movie for their podcast and invited us on, and we were more than happy to do it, and it was super fun to record with them, Uh, Mm -hmm. actually just last night at the time of this recording. Yes,
0: it was a very quick turnaround, and uh, so their podcast essentially, well, you'll hear what it is in the uh, episode itself, but essentially they are a leftist look at certain kinds of movies, often, you know, good and bad documentary but often they'll do things like watch the original British Office and mm-hmm. give a leftist uh, critique of that yeah. actually there aren't a lot of politics on this episode
1: not as much as I thought there would be yeah. yeah yeah. so we... if
0: you think that would be a turnoff to you I say give it a chance and mm-hmm. I think you'll really like it they are very uh, very smart guys yeah, and they have yeah. some great commentaries that uh, we often don't hit sometimes mm-hmm.
1: So yeah it, it was a ton of fun to talk and also just to be complimented by them yes. I really appreciated that it's too. a real ass kissing <laughs>
0: festival on this podcast uh,
1: but yes, yeah, so uh, you know you could listen to this on their feed and i would definitely say check out in previous episodes as well but we wanted to upload this to our feed so you guys could check out this uh crossover episode of of sorts of uh talking simpsons meets michael and us
0: yes so please listen and enjoy this little bonus
1: 20th century fox presents homer ah! or please marge Lisa, Bart, Maggie, Mr. Burns, Smithers, Krusty, Barney, Lenny, Carl, Itchy, Moe, What? Grandpa, Apu, Wiggum, Milhouse, Nelson, Ralph, Selma, Maddie, Bumblebee Man, Willie, Jimbo, Skinner, Otto, Rockman, Reverend Lovejoy, Here's the Money shot, and a cast of thousands in the movie event 18 years in the making.
2: All right, well, hello, everyone, or I should say ahoy hoy, uh, Luke Savage here. With me is always my esteemed co host, Will Sloan. Hello. And we are joined in a special crossover episode by Henry and Bob from the Talking Simpsons podcast. Hey, guys, how's it going?
1: Hey, it's me, Henry. Epa to everyone out there.
0: Hey, it's me, Bob, the other guy on Talking Simpsons.
2: So this is something we've been wanting to do for a while. Uh, You know, the Simpsons movie is definitely uh, something that's been on, you know, well in my radar for a long time. It's the perfect foil for both our shows. Uh, For those that don't know... Uh, Talking Simpsons, it's a great effort of Simpsons scholarship, the greatest one out there. Bob and Henry are two of the greatest living scholars (laughs) of the greatest show of all time. Thank you. Um, So they know the Simpsons. And as for the Simpsons movie, which is our main topic of discussion today... Uh, It's perfect because it came out in 2007, which is ancient history in 2020 terms, and yet is strangely kind of late period for The Simpsons, at least uh, if you're, you know, uh, grew up watching The Simpsons kind of in the 90s. Um, So it's weirdly like late period and also backward looking. We're looking both backwards and forwards in 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 strange ways uh, today. But before we get into the movie, I wanted to kind of just explain what our show is to uh, listeners of the Talking Simpsons podcast and to have you guys do the same. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your podcast and kind of what you guys do?
0: Sure, well it's called Talking Simpsons And for about five years now We've been going chronologically through The Simpsons And we go super, super in-depth Into each episode We really uh, we focus on uh, guests, we have guests on every show And what we do is we go through every episode Scene by scene, we play clips from the show And if there's a reference, we dig deep into What it is, and often play a clip Of what the reference is referencing mm-hmm. And uh, we are really a clip-based show With uh, guests offering their input And uh, often episodes will go up to uh, Close to three hours long, because mm-hmm. we are Uh, definitive. We know we only have one chance to get it right, so we really uh, dig down into every reference and joke and quotes.
1: Yeah, pretty recently we wrapped up season 10. You know, we decided to revisit season one because um, the first time we did it was a bit shorter. And so now we're really giving it the the proper due for season one. But we'll soon be back to season 11 again uh, and talking about Mel Gibson's wonderful episode of uh, The Simpsons. <laughs> and the
0: death of Mott Flanders. Uh,
1: yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, you know, politically me and Bob are pretty lefty Bay Area dudes. And so, you know, our show isn't a political podcast, but... Definitely, we rant enough politically from time to time, and we've had on had on you guys, had on folks from the awesome lefty podcast, uh, Chapo Trap House, and also uh, the Struggle Session. I'm a big fan of that one. You know, politics enters the show from time to time. It is it is quite a concept, uh, <laughs> politics. So, uh, so yeah, we uh, and we have a separate podcast called What a Cartoon, where we do similar for different animated series once a week as well. But yep, that's, that's our whole deal. You know, whenever I
3: was a kid and a season one episode of The Simpsons came on, I was always so disappointed. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, how has been revisiting?
0: It's, I mean, we do get entertainment out of it, but it's more of like an intellectual exercise for us to be like looking at it through the uh, prism of history. Like, what does this say about 1990, the state of TV, the state of the world? Mm-hmm. But there are often like, you know, funny jokes, brilliant pieces of animation, but just funny to see where everything began.
1: Yeah. And like watching them figure it out as they go. It's uh, so it's been fun in that way, but yes, no. When I was a kid, if it had come on in syndication, be like season one. Man, I'm putting in my tape of season five or whatever and just watch that. Which
3: is wild because Simpsons Mania was about season one. People mm-hmm. had people had never seen anything like it. You know, yeah. Uh, people were so used to the Huxtables, and then all <laughs> all of a sudden came uh, wild little Bart Simpson.
1: <laughs> it's uh, it's hard. To not just say The Cosby Show when we mean a mainstream uh-huh. sitcom, whenever we're just like, oh, The Simpsons, we're doing this when The Cosby Show is doing that, and then we all just get sad the second we say it, just like, we got to just start saying Full House or something else, Yeah, it's just a bummer. <laughs> but I
0: mean, it was engineered to take down The Cosby Show, because that's yeah. why it moved to Thursdays, just to be Cosby, and it did once, it beat a rerun of The Cosby Show. Of the
1: last
2: season. Yeah. <laughs> So right here, this is the kind oh. of, you know, that is like the high-level trivia about The Simpsons that Will and I uh, do not know. So I'm glad that we, uh, I'm glad we put this to you guys. I did want to... Uh, uh, I knew that. <laughs> 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 I did not know that. I'm uh, I'm obviously the ignorant one here, but I'm full, before we're all fully sucked into the vortex of The Simpsons movie... I wanted to kind of explain what our show is to your listeners who may not have heard of it. Basically, around uh, 2016, Will and I decided we wanted to do what I think at the time it's safe to say was a quasi-ironic dive into Michael Moore's oeuvre. Um, Will and I, I think like a lot of people of our generation, uh, grew up watching Michael Moore. Uh, You know, he kind of helped politicize us. We thought it would be interesting to revisit his films through the prism of the events that were going on in 2016 and and kind of see how they held up. And we found that some of them did or kind of did, and some of them really didn't. After we got through Michael Moore's oeuvre, we dove into the kind of uh, wider universe of of sort of Michael Moore-themed paraphernalia, kind of conservative, kitsch documentaries that were critical of him but nevertheless aped his style. And when we ran through that, which, of course, you know, was not inexhaustible got into just, you know, a kind of wider, you know, wider podcast universe that we've been building ever since that includes everything from, you know, Ingmar Bergman, um, and Sergei Eisenstein to evangelical documentaries about how the libs are stealing Christmas. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, a uh, there's so- something for everyone and, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's pretty much it. If, uh, you're a Michael and us listener, we highly recommend you <laughs> check out talking Simpsons If you're a talking Simpsons listener, we humbly ask that you check out our (laughs) podcast and maybe even subscribe to our Patreon. We recommend Um, it. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Well, uh, let's get into it. I mean, it's hard to know where to start with the Simpsons movie. But I guess since you guys are the scholars here, it might be useful to just have some basic context for – what The Simpsons movie, you know, was, how it was conceived, um, and then we can all kind of do a go-around and kind of see what our general takes are of it.
0: Well, I think it's important to point out that this was always sort of floating around uh, The Simpsons, the idea of a movie, and uh, Camp Krusty... The Simpsons episode, that was almost the movie. Like, Mm -hmm. when that was in production, James L. Brooks called uh, Gracie Films and was like, this should be the movie. (laughs) But that episode was barely long enough to be an episode. So they were like, okay, (laughs) we can't do this right now. But uh, it was only until, like, the early 2000s when it was starting to become more possible. But they could never shut down production of the TV show to make the movie. So this was being produced at the same time as, like, season 18 of the show.
1: Yeah, I think the the proper ramp-up for it came around when they started doing the commentaries for the DVDs because it was an excuse to get many of the older producers and writers for the show back into the studio like almost on a daily basis and so that's when more and more conversations were happening and they they got back uh, almost every showrunner of the show uh, and lead writer back to write a script and just workshop, workshop, workshop it And and yeah, it was all happening during the prime time of, you know, the Michael and Us era of the bush administration and the uh, 2004 election like right up to mid-07 well yeah they'd, they'd been working on it for the the longest of times while still producing the show and they finally like fox studios started advertising it in 06 i I'd, I'd heard for many years like graining in he'd do some interview somewhere matt graining would and he'd say the movie's coming we're working on the movie i'm like yeah right yeah right. they'd they'd even uh, drop something like we talked with there in Brockovich about uh doing a part in this which totally got cut from the movie oh, that's right yeah <laughs> but <laughs> but then they did the first trailer in like Lado, oh, uh, no summer of 06 because it was a parody of the Superman Returns trailer remember that oh that's right and then I remember this in 2007 leaping his way onto the silver screen the greatest hero in American history I forgot what i was supposed to say the simpsons movie
0: the season 10 dvds the uh the framing device for that is like the movie studio and there was a little like sneak preview of the movie within that dvd set
2: before we get into the plot of this movie which you know is is i think fairly perfunctory we don't need to spend too much time on it i thought you know we could do a little go around and you know i want to hear everyone's takes on the movie we've all just kind of watched it in the last few hours i had not seen it since maybe 2007 Mm. or 2008. uh you know for people listening you know we haven't kind of gamed this out you know maybe we'll agree maybe we'll disagree i think if we disagree in some places about what we like what we don't like that'll be interesting so i don't know uh will do you want to start us off with kind of what was your take
3: revisiting this one i found it disappointing in 2007 I remember it was enjoyable to hear Harry Shearer's voice in surround sound (laughs) and to see my favorite characters, you know, up there on that big screen. But I remember at the time feeling it compared unfavorably to something like the South Park movie, which really takes advantage of the possibilities of the medium. It felt like an extended episode and watching it again, uh, I am still disappointed by it. Fundamentally, something better could have been done with this plot of Springfields getting trapped in a dome. Mm. I feel like we don't spend enough time in the dome. Instead, <laughs> we go to Alaska with the Simpsons. Yeah. And I feel like the conceit of the Simpsons going to Alaska doesn't bring a lot to the movie and the movie really spins its wheels. And I think the movie is constantly gesturing towards political satire and not really, you know, not really going there.
2: I, I guess I agree with much of that, but what what was it like for you guys revisiting this, particularly as? Two people who are so immersed in the Simpsons universe on a daily basis.
0: Oh, well, I was still watching the show at that point, And I was watching it up until, I think, 2009. And I was also writing a column for my uh, my grad school paper, The Kent State Stater. And I <laughs> wrote a furious review of this movie. I was so mad about it when I saw it. And I will tell you guys out there, I spent uh, my entire 20s just being mad about The Simpsons. <laughs> uh, is,
2: is that a review? Do you still have that? If you is look it up...
0: Like- I'm sure it's still online somewhere. Like if you type in Bob Mackey Simpsons movie, Kent State Stater, I'm sure you'll find it. I'm sure it's embarrassing.
2: Oh, let's find it and let's put it in the show notes. <laughs> Please
0: do. I, I'm, not, I'm not too ashamed of it. But yeah, I, I watched it today. And I found it watchable, but whenever I see this movie now, I just think of all the missed opportunities, because this was their one shot to make a Simpsons movie, and they uh, I just see a complete lack of confidence, mm-hmm. and this could have been like every Simpsons fan dream come true. Instead of having like the dream of like, what if like Mr. Burns and Sideshow Bob teamed up, the two ultimate villains in the universe, it's like, no, here's some new guy that isn't Hank Scorpio. That's <laughs> yeah. what drives me insane, all of these weird choices that just show a lack of confidence and then a year later when i rented the dvd and listened to the commentary it was all like laid clear to me al jean is on that commentary saying here are the jokes that didn't work with test audiences here are the ones that did test audiences love spider pig so we put the spider pig in song as much as we could so this was just a a movie that was focus grouped to death on a show that famously did not have to accept notes from the network and that drove me nuts
1: uh I enjoyed it in 2007. I revisited it for the 10th anniversary, uh, like three, two and a half years ago. So it was relatively fresh for me. My feeling in 2007 was I thought it would be as bad as the worst episodes of the show were at the time. And so it being better than that, I liked that. And I think now, i give it it feels like a six out of ten to me maybe a five out of ten honestly but there are bits where i me and bob watched it together right before this and i kept going like well that's a good joke that's a good joke like i think there's enough times where i go like that's a good joke that i don't feel it's a completely wasted time watching it uh and i also think there have been way lower lows in the 13 years of simpsons episodes after this one So maybe that's like changed my views on what's good or bad about the movie. But yeah, I'm totally with Bob. So many missed opportunities that I think they were really scared of their own like references in a way. And instead they're like, no, let's reference just Titanic and Arnold Schwarzenegger and just everything that people all know. It is the most famous stuff.
2: So I think that's a, it's an interesting place to uh to start off. I mean, I feel like we have a, a mostly a consensus here. You know, there's there's a few things I want to talk about, but uh I do think we should kind of lay out the plot of the movie for those <laughs> who haven't who haven't seen it.
3: Does anyone wanna does anyone wanna take on that somewhat work
0: with like uh, uh I, I can
3: I can uh, maybe do it. Uh, The Simpsons movie opens when Springfield is in the midst of an environmental catastrophe. The Springfield Lake, is it? Uh, Springfield Mm -hmm. has a lake, by the (laughs) way. Uh, The Springfield Lake has become, it's on the border of being irredeemably polluted. Poor little Lisa is, is trying to raise environmental awareness of the townsfolk, but is meeting with only resistance, except from her love interest. Uh, Her muse. The the Uh, wonderful character of Colin, uh, who really uh, caught on.
2: (laughs) Colin Mania, does anyone remember? He was
1: right up there with Spider Pig, is the most popular. I have a
0: fading (laughs) Colin t-shirt in my closet.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? Meanwhile, uh, Homer becomes the proud papa of a new pet pig. and uh, The the aforementioned spider pig, Mm -hmm. in fact. (laughs) Uh, He fills an entire silo full of the pig's droppings, And uh, he's going to humanely and environmentally friendly get rid of the pig droppings. But instead, he decides to dump it all in the lake. And this seems to be the tipping point that makes Springfield irredeemably polluted. And so the Environmental Protection Agency becomes aware of this. Big government comes Mm -hmm. in to intervene. The head of the EPA, voiced by Albert Brooks, consults with the president, who is Arnold Schwarzenegger, and comes up with a plan to contain Springfield inside a gigantic dome, kind of like the, the Dark Knight Rises plot. <laughs> it's
1: they, very they similar. Just
3: <laughs> drop a big dome over Springfield and try to erase all knowledge of the town. Homer, who has caused this problem, and his family manage to escape through circumstances to contrive to get into here and try to. <laughs> start a new life in Alaska. Meanwhile, civil society collapses in Springfield. (laughs) And uh, Albert Brooks decides that what really needs to be done is to, to drop a bomb in Springfield and end it once and for all. And Homer is able to get a shot at redemption by coming back and saving the town. Those are the broad strokes of the plot.
1: I mean, as a big budget movie idea, it lets them have a giant action set piece at the end and travel places like it. It checks the boxes of what you expect from a big film adaptation of something. Same with like how in the X-Files movie, which has a giant X-Files fan, just like in Simpsons 30 minutes into the film, they're just like, well, let's just blow up that premise, get them away from each other, go somewhere else. We got to move away from the premise that you enjoy about this.
3: And even though this is a feature film and feature films typically expand the universe, this movie is is rigorously focused, I would say, on Homer and Bart. Oh yeah, with a, with a little bit of Lisa. You know, a, a cast of dozens, hundreds even, each get a little 10 second bit.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get these weird assemblages like towards the end of the movie, where in the sort of bombed out, you know, anarchic Springfield where society's collapsed, like you see, is it, it's Lenny and Carl with, they've just teamed up with Dr. Hibbert, they're just, and Cletus, <laughs> they're just together for no reason, which is like, it seems, strikes me as a very arbitrary. <laughs> Assemblage of characters, or then there's another scene where a sort of committee of concerned citizens goes to Mr. Burns, is the only one that still has electricity, and it's like a Pooh, and then who's the other one? Wait, Chief it's
3: Doctor Hibbert, yeah. Pooh, and Chief Wiggum. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I like I love that a poo is one of them like this random convenience store <laughs> owner is part of the summit to yeah. to Springfield's wealthiest citizens. And
2: and that just seems like the kind of choice where it's just so that they can get all those characters on screen. Check them off. I, yeah. I,
3: I like the depiction of class harmony in Springfield
2: <laughs> yeah. because,
3: you know, from the Green Day concert at the beginning where we see Krusty the Clown, who is one of Springfield's most famous citizens, he's just rocking out in the crowd with anyone we see Mr. Burns and Smithers at church, just in the background. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. It's that's uh, that's very random. Yeah. I, I
0: will say uh, up front, if we are still up front, that I don't know if you guys agree with me, but to me personally, the Simpsons movie is Who Shot Mr. Burns part one and two. That is the ultimate celebration of all the characters with the best Burns moments. Like he is the villain of the series. And his mm-hmm. plot is very similar to Cargill's, like yeah. basically destroying the entire town. So that is what I'm measuring the movie against. If that's unfair, I'm Sorry, but that to me will always be the Simpsons movie.
2: I've never thought of that, but I actually really, really, uh, I really, really like that. Let's like officially both our podcasts officially endorse the idea that who shot Mr. Burns one and two is the official Simpsons movie.
3: I suppose the reason that we're covering the movie as opposed to regular episode of the show on this podcast is because the Simpsons movie has some mid 2000s politics in it
1: way more than uh, I, I remembered. I I rewatching him from the political st- viewpoint, I was like, oh, this yeah, i guess that is kind of a joke about Iraq or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
3: before getting into that, i'm curious from you guys, to what extent did the Simpsons if at all contribute to your politics?
1: Oh, i mean, for for me, it definitely, you know, influenced it as a kid of just like knowing uh, that, like, Republicans are bad or whatever. It at least taught me that to an extent. I I mean, I, the, the Simpsons also, like, talk shit about Democrats just as much. And, and unions, yeah. And unions. Oh, man, does it hate unions and union <laughs> labor? But um, I think it gave me, you know, at least a bit of a, political like you know the the crunchy softy portlandy uh, yeah. liberalness of of graining it taught me that i sadly my political journey is is i mean the reason i listen to your show is because michael moore was a big part of my political awakening like i watched politically incorrect because bill Maher was definitely very smart to me in 1996 and <laughs> and then you know michael moore was on that so i kind of followed it to there and when michael moore was on the simpsons i was excited for that too but yeah i, I saw that when
3: it aired, yes. <laughs> hmm.
1: uh, but yes, The Simpsons definitely like pointed me in a direction for sure. And the more politically aware I got into the late 90s, I could recognize the stuff I liked politically in the Simpsons. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for me it was more like, well, so this is Matt Groening's goal is to brainwash the children of America to have uh, disrespect for every authority figure and I certainly did, but I think it was a very I uh, have it both ways kind of attempt in that the Simpsons says, you know, every authority figure is full of shit, but also they're helpless <laughs> and they are pitiable like like Principal Skinner. So mm-hmm. that is really what it informed me of.
3: Yeah, I would say that in my own political upbringing, so to speak, the Simpsons occupied a similar place that Mad Magazine occupied mm. where it, as a child gives you permission to laugh at authority and laugh at grown-ups and their institutions whether it's the school or the church or big business. I wouldn't say it really went beyond that for me, but Mm -hmm. just as Mad Magazine, I don't think really has a coherent set of politics aside from disrespecting authority. (laughs) But I think it's a good entry point for a kid.
2: I think the sensibility of a show can be useful and, and, and can have kind of political content, even if it's not kind of, as it were, didactic political content. And the show definitely had uh, you know the sensibility that all you just described, it was present for me as well. I grew up in rural Ontario, and there were a lot of kids I knew that weren't actually allowed to watch The Simpsons. And you know, the reasons they would cite is they would they would say things like, well, my mom and dad say that it it showcases bad family values, mm. which of course just made me like it uh, more. <laughs> and I and I do think that that is a vindication of what the creators of the show were trying to do in this age of very wholesome kind of moralistic family sitcoms. They were kind of trying to intervene in that and present something that was, I don't know, much more ironic and and a bit more transgressive. And of course, there's a famous moment that I'm sure you guys have talked about where uh Uh, George H.W. Bush, you know, condemned the simpsons in that in that speech prompting
3: we need more families like the Walton. yeah right right simpsons. prompting
2: uh you know marge uh, simpson of course <laughs> to pen a letter to uh mrs bush yes. in, we are going
0: to keep on trying to strengthen the american family to make american families a lot more like the waltons and a lot less like the simpsons
1: yeah they they'd engage more with hw bush than w bush when this show came when this movie came out they never had like w on the show which was you know politically bugging me at the time because i was yeah. all about like make fun of george w bush like bill maher does all the time i had a dartboard <laughs> with george bush on at the time
0: i did want to mention Not that henry joking. that's a really good point because uh this is on the record i don't want to pick too much on al Jean because <laughs> he was like the uh overlord of this movie and work in the short of the, of the show at this time and still is and on a commentary he basically said like we didn't mention George W. Bush Or make jokes about him Because his popularity was up But it was down We just didn't know If people liked him or not Like, number one That's not a good reason To not make a joke mm-hmm. But also, it is very toothless Which is why, like, now They make all the small hands Orange man jokes and those terrible shorts But uh, when they, they could not do that Back in the early 2000s And they wouldn't I think it was a top-down mandate Like, guys, no no George W. Bush jokes I think Homer made one joke Like, this is what happens in Dick cheney's america back in that (laughs) era but that was it and that was shocking like oh they they mentioned reality oh my god
3: (laughs) another interesting fact about the simpsons is that one of the key writers one of the acknowledged geniuses of the show was john (laughs) schwartzwelder who was pretty vociferously conservative
1: yeah, oh yeah. I mean he's uh he, he's of a right libertarian bent for sure, but he was I sometimes those stories I hear about him, I think he is an odd duck to be sure, but I also think he was just kind of like iconoclastically just or trollishly trying to get on the nerves of all the liberal uh writers he was surrounded by he would say things very negative about clinton when they're just all like clinton's the best what are you talking about yeah and he left
0: the show early in uh bush's first term too in that oh, era yeah,
1: yeah so uh yeah but i i think spiritually his type of hatred of all government definitely is is inside <laughs> the uh the springfield for sure
3: Something else I realize, a way that The Simpsons, I guess, has informed my worldview is, you know, because it loomed so large in my childhood, it almost set a default of what America and what Americana looked mm. like. It's like the nuclear family as depicted on The Simpsons almost became my <laughs> default. That's that's an American middle class, lower middle class nuclear family uh, and of course they have a two-story house and mm-hmm. you know a single parent income
1: <laughs> i i often forget how much it exports like americana or a view of it and once we started doing the podcast we started hearing way more from like you know Canadian or British or uh, even like South American fans of The Simpsons who have just a totally different uh, viewpoint on it on how it in, in it has a view of America. which It's funny, the opposite for me with Canada is I learned it all from the Red Green show on PBS. That's <laughs> Oh, that's beautiful. oh man, we,
2: we're going to have to do an episode on, if you haven't seen the Red Green film, uh, is it Duct Tape Forever? I think Duct Tape
3: um, Forever was a strictly local phenomenon. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I mean, Red Green Green, although we've never, I don't think, done an episode on him on Michael and us, is uh, very much in our thoughts uh, much <laughs> much of the time. But to get back to the movie, I think that one of the key questions about how you're going to receive this movie comes down to to what extent do you think The Simpsons making a transition from a show and, you know, kind of the production values of a regular episode and, and the regular, you know, the length of a regular episode into a movie, you know, how well does that work? And there are a few things tied up in that. You know, one is, the, you know, the plot, like, does the, is the plot enough to sustain a movie? But I think more deeply there's the issue of in the movie you get a lot of these kind of visual idioms, gags and things like that, that are clear references to the show, to the library of, of visual idioms that y- you'll recognize if you're a regular viewer of The Simpsons. And I found when Will and I were watching the movie, I think I received some of these a little bit differently than he did because I found a lot of them pretty derivative. For example, when I said, you know, actually kind of funny gag of bart riding the skateboard naked and then all these things happen to kind of conceal his bits and then you actually do see his bits somewhat surprisingly at the end i mean the part where the skateboard kind of swoops around the corner is quite literally taken from the intro uh you know the classic Hmm. intro of the show and so my reaction watching things like this and there were innumerable other examples is that um you know, it felt derivative to me, but, but Will made the good point, I think that, you know, when you're adapting things to a movie, actually, this is sort of part of what the point is. And it's part of how you do that. And if, you know, I'd have been a kid watching this, I mean, I guess I wasn't quite a kid in 2007, but I mean, if this movie had somehow come out seven years earlier, and I'd been in a theater and I'd seen these production values and I'd have, I'd have seen the characters I love with surround sound. And I would have been like, oh, this is so cool. And maybe maybe, That's what it's doing.
1: You know it's a lot of fan service and i think their problem was not enough fan service i I totally agree with you yeah Uh, but the like getting say the gorge back and showing them just redoing the homer jumping off the gorge thing but with bart and homer on a motorcycle that's one of those like shout outs to the fan service that i think does pay off in a more like big screen sense and watching it in i guess dude the specialness isn't really there as much as it was in 07 of like this is hd widescreen simpsons and when i'm seeing it on my disney plus app on a television like it's as widescreen as hd as the show is now though obviously you can tell they spent more money on one than the other you know
3: i think one of the problems is that it doesn't really expand the universe or doesn't doesn't add to our understanding of what the simpsons is i think it it maybe could have done that if it, as I said earlier, spent more time in the Dome and, and been like, well, what does Springfield actually look like when society collapses? You mentioned why Who Shot Mr. Burns would have been an interesting movie because it sort of takes Mr. Burns's villainy to its logical conclusion and imagines how would the city and how would the characters in the city react to Mr. Burns doing this? Um, whereas this movie not only don't you get to see society crumble but it's instigated by this character Cargill the Albert Brooks character who we'll never see again
1: and who they have to like very forcedly put in a scene with Homer at the very end just so like this isn't satisfying unless they directly defeat him you know? yeah
0: and I think Mr. Burns or who shot Mr. Burns as a movie as I view it is uh, more satisfying because this this movie is basically just Homer the Homer movie but mm-hmm. that movie is about the town and i like how we at least get like little flashes of the town during the alaska stuff but like you guys are saying i wish this was a a story about the town i hate that they leave it i don't like the alaska stuff i wish they could have just done so much fun stuff in springfield i don't know what the plot could be or would be in that scenario but i think that's a huge missed opportunity to not do more with springfield the location that we love
3: and what was the alaska stuff it was just another story where homer almost loses Marge and has to win her back.
2: So yeah. so I'm glad you brought that up because this is something I wanted to get into. I mean, the point I just made about how the show makes all these, vig- it draws all these visual reference points, you know, and, and to me that felt sort of derivative. I think there's also something similar going on in terms of the plot lines and the narrative. And you guys will have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but it strikes me that, you know, things like Lisa meeting a socially conscious boy or a socially conscious kid her own age and being kind of smitten or Bart, you know, deciding, well, actually maybe Flanders would be a good dad, that sort of thing. I mean, maybe those haven't exactly been, those plots haven't exactly been mirrored in the show, but to me, those felt like echoes of, you know, narrative arcs that we'd kind of already seen before.
0: Yeah. I really feel like Lisa was wasted in this movie because it's a movie about an environmental topic, and she is sort of sidelined with a very boring love interest. And her story is, uh, I guess, Lisa falls in love with someone you never see again. And technically, Bart was the son of Flanders in the foster home ep- in the foster home episode, but it was shown that he does not like that family or his vibe. This is a different version of that story where Flanders is a good dad for Bart, but I guess Flanders might have changed his fathering techniques without Maud.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, stories of Bart gets a better. Dad than Homer, and then goes back to Homer. Lisa um, gets a new crush, and then, uh, well, in this case, they actually just stay together at the end, which is not reflected in the show at all. But still, Lisa gets a new crush. Uh, Homer messes up with Marge, and then they have to get back together. Like, these are just tried and true plot points. They they'd done more than once, and in some cases more than four times by 2007. And I I think it was them like counting on what they could do that uh, they knew they could do it, but none of it felt. Uh, uh, they especially with the the Homer and March thing. They tried to make it feel like. Okay, yes, we know you've seen Homer and Marge break up before, but we really mean it this time. They, they're they trying to say they step it up for a movie with moments like that, but it it never rang true enough for me, especially and that one was the one they tried the most on and got closest. But even then, it's like this doesn't step it up from the show, a show plot to a movie plot. So I'm not quite sure where this fits in, but there was a
2: something particular that bugged me, just in a very pet peevy way. And I'm hoping maybe we can we can tease this out. But the decision to have Arnold Schwarzenegger be the president, but he's clearly just ran your Wolf Castle, right? Yeah. He's McBain. Yeah. And there's something about that. I'm not, I can't quite put my finger on why it bothers me, but I guess to take a stab at it, the Simpsons was at its best when it was dealing in these archetypes, you know, as opposed to, uh, specific characters. I mean, uh, or like specific characters drawn from the w- real world. The Simpsons characters were so strong because, they were these aggregations of different archetypes that captured something very real about like different kinds of people different kinds of social roles or you know membership in a particular social class or or whatever there's the reverend character there's the evangelical christian neighbor and his extremely like too perfect and weirdly prudish family you know there's the principal who is ostensibly like this figure of authority, but is actually this like wimpy mama's boy who has, you know, who's like not really a full adult, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's something about the decision to take this character, Rainier Wolfcastle, who is, I guess, you know, he's clearly an Arnold derivative character, but, you know, he's also just more broadly about a particular kind of action star who stars in these like Hideously violent, you know, Mm -hmm. extremely sexist movies that nevertheless do really well because people actually want to see them. And so the decision to just sort of almost peel off the mask and say, oh no, he's just Arnold now bugged me. Oh, <laughs> what do yeah. you guys make of that?
0: Yeah, I mean, that, I think that was the... Me uh, go on all day about this, All of honestly. the fury <laughs> that I felt in 2007 was because of those uh, surrogates for characters we knew. And again, going back to those uh, the DVD commentary, they were up front saying, yeah, people wouldn't know who Rainier Wolfcastle was. People wouldn't know who Hank Scorpio was. Unbelievable. So, yeah. How yeah. dare
2: they disrespect The Simpsons like that? But I
0: also feel like does it matter if you're presented with new character A or new character B if you don't know who, you, who either one of them are? Like If you've never seen The Simpsons before, you won't know who, who uh, Hank Scorpio is, or who Russ Cargill is. So why does it matter at all?
1: Yeah, yeah. Either way, I, I mean, and but Schwarzenegger, especially, like he really sums up just the the worst choices the film makes. Because yeah, I, I mean, one we've done a bunch of interviews with folks who worked on The Simpsons. One of them was with Mike Scully, a former showrunner, super nice guy, and he told us about you know working. We asked him a couple questions about the movie, and we asked him like, why wasn't that Ramir Wolfcastle? And he I I not quoting verbatim but he did he kind of Brought up that like it was in some drafts and then they changed it and we're like why and he's like you know I don't remember which maybe he didn't remember but or yeah. maybe he was covering for the fact that it was just somebody else's pick. But, it just
0: feels like it's a lack of confidence that is uh, just put on screen as a character like we didn't think you'd get this so yeah. here's this guy instead without
1: the remove of it and not even I mean what really bugs me with Schwarzenegger as as a choice about not trusting the audience with something is that. He has to, on his desk, have a big nameplate that says President Schwarzenegger. I'm just like... Come on, yeah. come on. So it's like,
2: not only do they not like think that people will know who Rainier Wolfcastle Wolf Castle is, they don't even trust the audience to get the reference that it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah.
0: And they also, have to, like,
2: scream it out loud.
0: It's also like a weird disconnect because in The Simpsons world, our president is their president. He was never president in the show before this. Not once. It's such uh, a weird yeah. idea.
3: He's sort of both Arnold Schwarzenegger, who at the time it was this popular thing to say, oh, democracy has reached its nadir when <laughs> California is voting for an action star. Um, he's that, but he's also George W. Bush in this movie, isn't he?
1: Yeah, when when they th- roll out the plans and say, like, pick one, they are so casting him as the what I definitely feel like the Simpsons liberal writer's vision of Bush was, which is just like, mm-hmm. he's a dumb guy controlled by evil people yeah. around him. And but that, a t- likable,
0: yeah. charismatic dumb guy that's being misled, yeah. ultimately.
1: Yeah, Yeah. No,
0: I need to know what I'm approving. Absolutely.
3: But on the other hand,
0: knowing things is overrated.
1: Anyone can
3: pick something when they know what it is.
1: It takes real
3: leadership to pick something you're clueless about. Okay, I picked three. Try again. One. Go higher. Five. Too high. Three. You already said three. Six. There is no six. Two. Double it. Four. As you wish,
1: sir. Well, I mean, the character Russ Cargill, too, on the DVDs, they've got extras, that show the original version of him they had with Albert Brooks doing a completely different voice and character. And he just is Donald Rumsfeld. Like I said, do a Donald Rumsfeld voice. And I think they rightly gave him a higher energy voice in, in their second take on him. But like they they animated a scene with him as much more of a direct Rumsfeld reference, too.
3: While we're talking about the politics of the film, do you have any insight as to why they went with Uh, the environmental angle and in particular the movie references an inconvenient truth a couple of times. Why that?
1: well I I mean for one thing Matt is a Gore buddy like he's uh he gal Gore was on uh, Futurama multiple times like he's his Al Gore's daughter wrote for Futurama mm-hmm, yeah so I I could see you know it's just a shout out to his uh his political buddy and wanting to uh push up his his agenda and I mean you know the environmental angle on it's not not bad and it's definitely from a like You know, at least a left of center vision of it. But I think uh, I think that's an easier place for them to take it than going to like, you know, the war on terror, even though they kind of deal with it. But maybe they saw the uh, my thinking is maybe they saw the EPA as an easier department to address than having to deal with, you know, the NSA or whatever.
3: I like that the EPA is depicted as this incredibly evil, <laughs> uh, conniving and secretive organization that's that's all powerful. Yeah, it's, it's...
2: watching it. Watching it again, uh, I was struck that the environment. I remember that there was an environmental arc, but I don't. I'm not really sure what the message is, and I wish it had either leaned into just sort of burlesque satire or like didactic you know, I probably wouldn't have liked it if it had like really tried to have a heavy handed message, but at least then there would have been some kind of coherent purpose for the environmental angle, which doesn't seem to me to be there.
0: Yeah, and uh, Russ Cargill, like uh, it's a fun performance by Albert Brooks, but he's sort of a boring character because there's no ulterior motive, there's no like coup or anything like that. Mm. He's trying to pull it, just like no, he just gone crazy and he just wants to do whatever he wants to do yeah. to Springfield.
1: Well, his his stated goal of like, I why the world's richest man start to work from here to give back, and that that feels much more like an Obama era statement than a Bush mm. era statement, really. Like, uh, but yeah, I think the EPA stuff, uh, they they just dropped the environmentalism like at minute 30 because like they should have had a thing where lisa says now let's get back to cleaning things up or you know the epa has gone too far but there's good ways that citizens could clean up the thing but instead they seem to be saying that just like if you try to clean things up and then fail the government will destroy you be- <laughs> r- rather than help you clean things up it's a little it's a little south parky actually
2: mm-hmm. in oh, oh, for yeah. sure yeah like South Park at its worst, will will I once heard the politics of it uh, referred to as libertarian passive, and the definition that was given to that was, you know, it's a show where the 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 do-gooders are always the problem. So in this case, the do-gooders, you know, one of them is the EPA, but then the, when we see the EPA trying to protect the environment like they're they're just big brother oppressing ordinary citizens. You know what I mean? They're actually to bring it back to Al Gore, the definitive South Park episode along those lines <laughs> oh. is the uh, the unfunny man bear pig mm-hmm. episode. Yes
1: uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Which um, hey, they apologized for last year, but I wasn't listening. I was like, oh hey, good good you. <laughs> a little on you too now.
3: late in my opinion. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so something something else that I think is really
2: funny to discuss is, you know, which is what more widely applicable beyond this movie in the simpsons universe and i think gets to i don't know i hate to put it this way but like core metaphysical questions about the simpsons and and what springfield is which and i'm referring of course to the fact that the geography of springfield changes so much and Maybe this is nitpicking, but I actually really like it when they do that on the show. And in the movie, I didn't particularly like it. (laughs) So, you know, in the movie, you know, we see, for example, Moe's Tavern is next to the church, which I don't think we'd ever seen before. You guys can confirm that for me. (laughs) Yeah, no, Um, no way. Yeah, no no way. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Burns, it turns out, not only does he have a mansion, but he has his mansion is kind of on this great acropolis like towering over the city. I don't think we've ever seen that before. No, Springfield, yeah. <laughs> it's, Springfield it's, has a giant lake, uh-huh. uh, which I don't think was, was present before. And in the show, this is a device that's used frequently. And I think kind of mirrors the device of, you know, the episodes aren't always contiguous with one another in terms of character. Like Mr. Burns, you know, hilariously doesn't remember that he's had interactions with his family before and things like that. In the show, there's, you know, funny things like, I can't remember which episode it is, but where, you know, Homer has to drive through traffic to work to get to the nuclear plant. And then he finally pulls into the lot and it turns out that, you know, he's just parking on the other side of the fence outside the <laughs> Simpsons yard. And that that's funny to me. But in the movie, I did not like it, and I <laughs> actually don't have an explanation for that. It is part of it, it is like weird.
0: It. I don't like to get too hung up on it, but I do feel like things are moved for the sake of convenience. And as a, as a writer, I understand why. But also, I'm more of a fan when they change. Uh, they play with the idea of locations changing, and they really like hang a lantern on it. Like there's a joke in this in the show in a later season where Marge every time she looks at the kitchen window, there's like a new landmark outside. Like yeah. there's a nuclear plant, <laughs> there's like the prison, and just like we move buildings around so they can be where they need to be. But yeah. often, if it's just for the sake of convenience, I'm just like, uh, I wish the, the you know, Mose Bar was not next to the church. It works for a gag, but then you're thinking, like, well, it's never been there. So it's kind of distracting.
1: Well, and for a film where they like want you to build real stakes of like, but the town could be destroyed. And here's the town where they even zoom out so far that you see a dome drop on top of it to show you this is what the entirety of Springfield is. That then when they play around with it more, at least in the world of the film, it does kind of damage at least like the the reality of the stakes they want you to feel like no you should be really worried about this ticking clock look at it there the city of springfield it's really in trouble marge really means it this time when they're gonna break up but i guess in a larger sense the show when they fuck around too much with the shared reality or history of it that was a thing that led me to feel like well if you're going to change that history, then you'll change the next history. So why why did I get so invested in this history that you don't care about? Like it's, it's a danger of telling your audience not to care that the Simpsons. I sometimes they do it to funny effect, but other times they they push that envelope a little too far and and punish you for caring too much. So I guess you know we've been pretty
2: hard on the on the movie, <laughs> and I do think it's worth you know, maybe going around and, um, you know, saying, you know, is there a joke or a gag or just an effort that was made in the movie? Something that we like about it. I'm, I'm going to save mine for last because it's <laughs> extremely random. But, Will, what, what was there something you liked?
3: Uh, well, there are many gags that I liked. Uh, I liked spending time with my good friend Homer. Uh, <laughs> off the top of my head, one gag that I liked was that bit near the end where where he dresses up as like the, the God, now I'm going to try to pathetically recite a comedy routine from a movie, but (laughs) this is why they put clips on there. (laughs) (laughs) But what's the bit where he, where he's dressed up as like a brigadier or something. Oh yeah. Where
2: he, where he's, he's outside of the dome and he's, and there's a soldier patrolling and he goes up and, he just has this costume out of nowhere, and then he tries to use it to bluff his way past the guard, and then he ends up just punching the guard. And then, and then he <laughs>
3: checks his checklist, and number five is return guards' uniform. <laughs> <by five. laughs> uh,
1: that, yeah, the, him pulling out the second leaf that he had been making notes on—that was a good one. I there's, I think there are like a good handful of like funny jokes in there. I uh, I'll say two of my favorites. One is when they set up the first motorcycle challenge to win the truck he really does just fail three times in a row and for just a second it it leaves you guessing like oh then i guess that doesn't move forward the plot and they just they do it so fast and I do like the gag and an execution of it of the two burly cops appearing and cornering Uh, Marge, and she's so scared, and then they instantly walk past her and just start hardcore making out and jump into (laughs) a a room for some privacy. I those ones both gave me really good uh, laughs in the theater.
0: Yeah, there's lots of very good gags in the movie. One of my favorites is when they go to the uh, the gas station, they see the wanted poster of the family, so Bart draws on it, and there is a version of the family that looks like the doodle. bart drew over the uh the existing photo mm. that's a very funny joke that i i remember to this day just from watching their movie originally and i think like broadly we often uh, in discussions of the show we often take for granted the animation the animation in this movie is very good with the flourishes they are often not allowed to do on the tv show thanks to budget reasons and other reasons entirely and this is the best the show would ever look in this period and unfortunately now they use a tool set to make the show that does not allow for this level of expressiveness with the characters it's very unfortunate yeah
2: it's it's interesting I have a I guess something I liked about the movie in a moment but the animation is obviously very crisp and I agree with that it, you know Will was making the point while we were watching that he found it you know like if you watch this movie when you're in your kind of Simpsons phase and what you know is the show you're like wow this is a movie look at the amazing production values but I kind of didn't like it in the same way that later episodes like I remember a particular one from season 20 that is a it's kind of a mock episode Sort of twenty four or something mm. like that. Mm. It's it looks super high tech compared to the original Simpsons. Like it's it's really crisp and, and three dimensional, but it just drays so far away from the aesthetic that I'm familiar with. And this is like admittedly a very subjective kind of grievance, but um, that that is kind of how I felt about it. I don't know. You you have seen you know many more of the the later episodes than mm. than I have. What do you think about that?
0: I think, I mean, I honestly really miss the analog look of the show. We could never have that back. Yeah. It's very unrealistic to ever think that they could bring it back. They're just going to be digital only. They have been since like 2003. I think like internally, the show has been reined in visually just to streamline the process and then ensure there are no mistakes overseas. So we often lose the individual takes by different directors. Like when we're watching the earlier shows, we can see like, oh, David Silverman did this scene or this is a Jim Reardon scene. Like in the movie especially, we can see like very David silverman drawings which often get ironed out in the tv production process
1: yeah i mean i'm always going to miss the warmth of the cell animation and one thing a lot in the research is uh, that we've done for the show has revealed to me that like in like season nine forward they lost a lot of their best Folks on the animation side, like it's easy to focus on the writers, but they lose so much on the animation side. And this film brought back a lot of folks who had who had kind of left the Simpsons, like uh, on the animation side, David Silverman, Rich Moore, uh, Laura McMullen, just to name a few. And so I think they brought more artistic choices and stronger artistic vision to the show than it had had in the film that the show hadn't had in a while. But I think they were returning to a thing they'd left and seemed like, oh, this, this is the way the railroad runs now or this is where the track goes. And they, they're they having to figure it out among digital skill uh, tool sets they didn't have before. And it is crazy seeing this 07 thing now compared to a 2020 episode of Simpsons that is just so, uh, it's it's so much more on digital tool sets and just controlled in a way that is feels even more lifeless and digital did in 07. It's pretty crazy mm. how the difference, I could even just feel 13 years after the movie. I guess my my real wish is that this movie
2: had come out seven years earlier and it could have been almost exactly the same movie. And if I'd have seen it in, in the year 2000, I mean, it could have honestly been worse, and I still would have just <laughs> loved it. The idea of a Simpsons movie, by the time they actually did it, it sort of felt like the ideal moment for it had, had kind of passed. But there, there was something I really liked about this movie, and it actually has nothing to do with the movie, but... Um, <laughs> Her, Herman appears uh at mm. one point. I'm actually forgetting Ar-
3: Herman's military antiques yeah, yeah he's he's in I think one or two kind of crowd type uh-huh. scenes and I was remembering way
2: back um, at the start of uh, the episode we were talking about the you know kind of early episode or early seasons and I can't remember if it's seasons one season one or two where uh there's the episode this was my favorite episode as a kid and I think it speaks to how, when you're really young, you don't fully get The Simpsons. But mm-hmm. My favorite episode was the one where uh, Bart is getting bullied by a character who, like, I guess it is Nelson Muntz, but Nelson isn't like fully formed as Nelson at this point. In the same way that uh, Ralph Wiggum, you know, takes a while to kind of full, you know, take take full go full Ralph. It's the episode where you know Herman basically helps Bart start an army. And the way I received this at age, I don't know, six or seven, was just like, wow, that would be so cool. I wish I had an army. And I'd completely forgotten about that episode until Herman appeared just now. And so it took me back to Mm -hmm. uh, the age of like childish fantasies like that, quite warmly, I should add. Well,
3: I like Herman because clearly they had high hopes for Herman because they Mm -hmm. included him in the opening credits. And so well into season, I don't know, 20, he was still there along with Jacques <laughs> in, in, that, in that opening credit scene of just failed season one characters who never went the, anywhere. The, the
2: joke in that episode where they have, they're in the treehouse, I think, and Herman has a map, and he says, the key to Springfield has always been Elm Street. The Babylonians knew it. The Greeks knew it. Now you knew it. Yeah. So good. Mr. Herman? Yes? Did you lose your arm in the war?
3: My arm? Well, let me put it this way. Next time your teacher tells you to keep
0: your arm inside the bus window, you do it.
3: Yes, sir. I
1: will. The episode's Barth the General. We yeah. actually just revisited right. that one. And yeah, the, uh, I mean, the current character of Herman, we talked about Schwartzwelder earlier. Like, he was the show's writer's way of mocking Schwartzwelder too. Like, they, they made him look kind of like him. And he's, you know, a right-wing crank who uh, loves a lot of uh, Nazi memorabilia included, which they, <laughs> they don't interrogate too closely. But he's like, I got some Nazi underpants, like he tries to sell abe in one episode yeah it's it's really weird when the one-armed character just shows up out in in the middle of nowhere in an episode yeah
3: as we're winding down i just have a couple of stray thoughts about the simpsons and why it was what it was to me as a child and why it is what it is now Uh, i'm hardly the first person to observe that one of the reasons why the show doesn't really work anymore is because it's frozen in amber in 1989 Mm -hmm. The Simpsons is no longer the default American family. Springfield is no longer everybody's idea of an every town. But aside from that, when I was a kid, one of the things that was so exciting to me about The Simpsons is that it actually felt like a grown-up show. It didn't talk down. And like, say, the Looney Tunes, came from a very particular time and place and cultural sensibility There seemed to be a unified, let's say, boomer or older (laughs) Gen X voice behind it. And it had the texture of that and the cultural reference points of that. Just as the Looney Tunes would often have references to, I don't know what was big at that time, uh, Al Jolson or whatever. (laughs) uh, the, The Simpsons had things like, say, in Mr. Plow, when Adam West is signing autographs at that car show. I mean, we all know who Adam West is, but that's a particularly kind of boomer conception of him.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Whereas now, it's this thing that's frozen in amber in 1989, and yet all the cultural reference points are, well, like 10 years ago, that 24 episode. Yeah, or yeah. now, when there was that clip circulating of AOC and oh, the squad oh, uh, God. yelling oh, at Donald Trump. Yeah, it's both stuck in time, and yet also, it's lost all its texture. They shouldn't be in America, no one but me in America. No taxes for me in America. This is my natural
0: Herica.
3: We're more American than your wife. She's not a big presence in my life.
2: Your love life makes us heave.
1: You two will never see Tel Aviv. I mean, if I could diagnose that particular problem, I would say it's like the Lorne Michaelification of the show of just like the Simpsons, even in the classic era, they were always like, oh, let's promote this thing. Let's say we've got a big star on this. They Definitely, it was about self-promotion and trying to get those headlines. But yeah, in the post 9-11 years of Simpsons, it felt so much more about that of like, well, no, we definitely need to get Lady Gaga on here and we need a scene where Lisa says, wow, Lady Gaga. I was thinking of Lady so Gaga put it out there. during yeah. your sentence. Yeah. So mm-hmm. quest for relevance just feels like chasing a tail really instead of in the, in the nineties, it felt like they were leading the the way on like saying what things were at least like cool and relevant. And when they lost that, they it feels almost like sweaty how much they try to get it back by having too many different you know guests on and and I also think that like star fuckery is <laughs> what kind of defangs them a bit too because they're like well you know don't want to be too mean to person X what if we want to have them on sometime what if you we know?
2: started this movie with Green Day for some yeah, reason yeah
1: or yeah. Uh, or the beloved uh, to Michael and us Tom Hanks as well <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah and and that's why I bring this up I think because <laughs> (laughs) i see i see that ironing away of the specific perspective and texture of the show in this movie the way green day appears in this movie it's not like the way adam west appears in the mr plow episode
0: yeah they're heroes
1: yeah no they're just there to be themselves tom hanks is there to be themselves and it's just it's lighter mockery like we i think we got to that a bit it, it really hit me when we got to the alec baldwin and kim basinger episode yeah where you could definitely tell they were told where the line was of how you could make fun of them and the acceptable amount of of safe mockery they would take on you know while in that one though, i think ron howard actually was much more game to at least be like yeah do whatever shit you want with me i don't care <laughs> they could be meaner i mean adam west was they were happier to be meaner to him anyway and they were just a bunch of dorks especially the writer of that episode mr plow john beaty yeah he's called himself like the biggest batman 1966 fan there ever was so
3: well yeah that's something i like about that particular episode and why i use that example because it does seem to come with a lot of genuine affection for him and his his place in the pop culture ecosystem And yet, it also has this kind of jaundiced, like former boomer kid who's now an adult, and is sees Adam West at a car (laughs) show perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's a very lived-in perspective. Now and now they're even just older people who they're all their heroes are dead pretty much like so they can't uh, when they have on people younger than them they they don't come at it from a childhood wonder perspective like one of the last times they did that it felt like when they had Stan Lee on and like it's it's really cute on the commentary with Stan Lee. They get him and Al Jean is just like, oh, he's asking him about like 60s Fantastic Four comics. And yeah, it's, it's an endearing moment. It's very you know? sweet. Yeah. I did
0: want to go back to the movie really quick before we go, because one thing, so I see this movie as just a big uh, miss opportunity. Like there are so many opportunities they miss. What I do like is how they bring a lot of old writers in to write the movie, especially David Merkin. David Merkin is so important to what The Simpsons is. He was just an outsider brought in in season five and he changed the show completely, made it faster funnier meaner two big omissions in this movie are bill oakley and josh weinstein two of the most important architects of the simpsons and it feels wrong that they are not part of this movie they are so protective of characters Mm -hmm. they are so like just deliberate and specific about jokes i feel like they could have made this movie so much better and would have made smarter choices but for whatever reason they were not part of this and i feel like that I, i missed it i missed it i could tell from watching it like they are not part of this movie
1: yeah, Bill and Josh, they're probably our favorite showrunners and writers for the show ever. And they were like the first Simpsons nerds hired to write for The Simpsons, but also just very smart, but funny, empathetic writers who who really could do a great, they could do a great silly episode about Homer doing a dumb adventure or Bart befriending his loser principal. Like It felt like because they were there for the classic armin tamzarian episode i feel like the show was punishing them by not inviting them to the party and it it still bugs me to this day that they they weren't there and and also like they have some of the of 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 posters on twitter they have some of the best politics of the simpsons former writers on there too like they're both big bernie boosters uh, josh weinstein even more so yes yeah, definitely. So. And it's always funny to see them like engage with their um, more centrist Hollywood liberal buddies on Twitter from time to time. So it's, I think a huge part of why The film didn't take chances they maybe would have or have cared as much about history was not having Bill and Josh in there to offer up uh, suggestions. Well, I think it's fitting
2: that we kind of ended ended the discussion almost by accident, you know, dishing about our favorite episodes (laughs) and, and just things that we like about The Simpsons. Because, of course, in spite of everything we've said today that's critical of this movie, all of us absolutely love The Simpsons to death. Your worst day thinking about and talking about The Simpsons is still a pretty good day. So I'm glad we were able to, <laughs> uh, you know, finally do this with you guys. It was a fantastic discussion. We definitely love to have you back. Uh, was there anything that uh, you wanted to
1: plug? Oh well, I mean, me and Bob, you know, do the weekly Talking Simpsons podcast. That everybody should check out. The older episodes, like uh, the the ones we've did with both you guys uh, separately, I think uh, listeners of this will really enjoy. Or uh, also, you know, we did uh, the ones with the Chapo folks with Virgil and Matt and Amber. I think your listeners would really enjoy too. But uh, and also, you know, we talk uh, about. Uh, bunch of different cartoons on what a cartoon so if you enjoy lots of animated series or old ones and wanted to go back through them you know maybe just check out our library and see which ones uh our shows you remember liking and, and want to learn more about
0: yeah and we have a patreon it's uh patreon.com slash talking simpsons right there we have a lot of episodes that aren't on the free feed including our mini series we've gone over episodes of the critic king of the hill futurama there's about 50 or 60 episodes of our mini series today and there'll be more coming in 2020
1: Yeah, and I mean, uh, if you want to engage with my always online personality at Twitter, that's at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G.
0: And I am at Bob Servo, like Tom Servo.
2: Since we're doing plugs, uh, I already plugged our show, but I'm uh, at Luke W. Savage
3: on Twitter. Uh, I guess I'm Will Sloan, E-S-Q. (laughs) <laughs> Will Sloan esque. It's a word. Just say it out loud. That's how I've read Will it. Slo- well, it's Will Sloan Esquire. Esquire. But, but the thing is, I want people to I want people to know how to spell it. Mm. <laughs>
2: the, I've always thought of it as like Will Sloan esque. I didn't realize that it was short for Esquire. I it was like the quality of being Will Sloan. <laughs> There'd be a U in there if it was you're, Will Sloan ask. You're quite right. Anyway, uh, got into all kinds of topics today. There you have it, folks. Talking Simpsons, Michael and us, the crossover, finally happened. I hope we'll do it again. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the appropriate way to say goodbye? <laughs> every what's, every what's, time we, we say goodbye.
1: The <laughs> uh, they'd end with a song, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we know how you guys, you guys should close it out with your classic farewell. Now watch this drive.
3: <laughs> there you have it. Woo. Mm. <gasps> the Batmobile. <gasps>
1: Adam West. Hey, kids, Batman. Dad, that's not the real Batman. Of
0: course I'm Batman. See, here's a picture of me with Robin.
3: Who the hell's Robin?
0: Oh, I guess you're only familiar with the new Batman movies. Michelle Fiverr. Ha. <laughs> the only true Catwoman is Julie Newmar, Lee Merriweather, or Eartha Kitt. And I didn't need molded plastic to improve my physique. Pure... West, and how come Batman doesn't dance anymore? Remember the bat to see.
1: Nice meeting you. Just keep moving. Don't make eye contact.